Reactive Redefined is our online coaching program for reactive dogs and their guardians. If you would like to join Reactive Redefined, it will reopen for enrollment on Monday, July 5th. Uh, Reactive Redefined will be open for enrollment for just a couple of days. Enrollment will close on Friday, July 9th. So if you'd like to be on the official wait list to be the first to join Reactive Redefined when it opens, head over to our website, agoodfeelingdogtraining.com slash Reactive Redefined. To Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I have a wonderful client with me and she is going to share her experience inside of Reactive Redefined. If you are new to the podcast, if you are new to the A Good Feeling Dog Training world, we have an online coaching program for reactive dog guardians called Reactive Redefined. And we pretty much just empower you to go out and kick ass in the world with your your reactive dogs. So do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself for the listeners? Yes. Um, hi guys, my name is Whitney and, um, my crazy dog, his name is Antares. He is a, uh, he's a German shepherd and we live in Maine on Mount Desert Island. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So I feel like your story is a little unique, right? Because I feel like a lot of the, like the case studies I've done have been like, dogs who came from rescue. We didn't know their background. Maybe there was some baggage there. And Antares is not the case, right? Like he's had a pretty good life. So why don't you tell the listeners just a little bit about like where he came from, what his early life was like with you? Totally. So yeah, he is, I would consider a very privileged dog <laughs> and he has not, he does not know hardship or what he thinks is hardship is not a big deal. Um, we got him when he was eight weeks old from a breeder up here, um, just a few towns away. We did a bunch of research to find a good breeder and we found some in our backyard, which was nice. Um, so we, yeah, we got to meet his mom and his dad and his siblings, like you name it. We got to go through the whole process and, um, and meet him at five weeks old. And he was just a little snug just so tiny they're so tiny not even the size of his head um so yeah we brought him home at eight weeks and uh honestly when we first had him probably for the first month or so we didn't actually think he was ever going to be able to bark um which is jokes on us So, um, my husband actually was like, Oh, the only thing that's a bummer about this dog is I just don't think he's going to bark. Like when people come or we see things. So, um, I, I guess I blame him for his reactivity. <laughs> he said that. <laughs> so common though, right? Like it seriously is a honeymoon phase. Right. And like those of you listening who've had your dog since like little tiny puppies, like remember how you felt, thought you were just going to get off easy and like, they were just going to be like, just a mellow dog. Yeah. That ends really fast. Doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. It gets a little rough sometimes. Oh my God. Years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how old was he when you started to observe like 
more of the barking, more of the reactivity. So I never heard of reactivity, first of all. So I didn't even know that was really a thing. Um, but I would say the first time we noticed that like, um, that we were wrong about the whole barking thing was there's this actually this great trainer up here who's all force free and she does a puppy class that's, you know, you can come in, take your puppies, it's free, um, just to help socialize them, which is great. So we went to one of those when he was, 11 or 12 weeks old, I want to say. He was pretty little. And we walked in the room and there was this other little fluff nugget in there and he just started barking at him. And we were shocked. We didn't know what happened to our sweet little puppy. He was just going wild. And uh, yeah, so it kind of hasn't stopped since then, I guess. Oh my God. He was like, welcome to your new life with me where I yeah. bark really loudly. Okay. So in the puppy class, what do you think his motivation for barking was? Oh, completely just excitement and frustration probably because in all other or all the other times that he'd met dogs up until that point, he was either off leash or able to approach them or they approached him or whatever. So I just had never seen a situation where we walked into a room. Well, it's, that's pretty you know, weird for a dog, I'm sure also is to walk into a room with a stranger there or strangers and then a dog and like a bunch of stuff on the floor, you know, to kind of socialize around. So he, we walked in on a leash, he saw the dog and then couldn't go over to it and just started barking. So, uh, but he always wants to play. So he's not aggressive and he's not mean. Um, he's just, he's not afraid by any means. Nope. He's not afraid. Although I would say I've learned a little bit about certain things he is afraid of, but, but in the puppy class, it maybe wasn't necessarily yeah. fear. No, definitely not in the puppy class. It was just like a little Australian shepherd that was just literally super fluffy and it was adorable <laughs> and they played for, you know, the whole time. It was great. But yeah, so that was when we first realized he was reactive. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like, you know, I think we learn something new from every puppy we raise. And while like puppy socialization classes are amazing in a lot of ways, I think we have to acknowledge like who our puppies are as individuals. Right. And like, especially at that age, if something's going to cause like a lot of frustration, we have to be super proactive about like, okay, what can we do here to alleviate some of this frustration, right? And like even cl puppy classes that are run by force-free trainers, right? Like amazing trainers, sometimes that still may not be a good fit for your puppy, right? So for everyone listening, I think that that's just something really good to keep in mind. Um, when Waylon was a youngster, we went to a puppy class and he was practicing some behavior I didn't want to see and we just left early. <laughs> nothing against the puppy, the class, the person running it, like it, it had nothing to do with them. They did a great job like, but Waylon was just not capable of making the choices that I, I wanted him to make. And I knew I was like, cool. So we need to leave now. <laughs> totally. Oh okay. So you saw his reactivity then. Yeah. And then it just kind of continued. So how did that manifest throughout like his adolescence? So he's a, he's a strange one because he can, we continue to do a lot of classes and it was pretty, he can calm down in pretty much all situations, even with dogs, you know, cause in a lot of those classes, the dogs never meet, they're never allowed to interact and that's fine. So that was kind of hard for him. So he would basically start off every class barking. Like when we walked in, he would like freak out and then we'd get to his mat, do a bunch of stuff. And then literally he could do anything. He could focus. It was fine. 
so he just needs that like you know little buffer of time I feel like um but you know as we continued in classes not in classes he when he sees a new dog out of the blue he usually feels the need to bark um and yeah again it's just kind of that be that calm down phase he like has an explosive reaction and then he kind of like I always say his brain just leaves his body like it's just gone like I don't know where it goes but until you get it back he's not gonna calm down and then once his brain's back in his head he's like oh yeah I am a good calm dog and I know how to do this but it's like (laughs) I think that's something that's very interesting interesting like specifically to German shepherds is that like we did genetically select them to pay attention to everything in their environment, right? Like we wanted those things in a dog. So like, that's something we talked about very early on, right? Like I think our first one-on-one call, right? We were like, the barking isn't going to go away. We're just going to decrease it. And maybe it's not going to be as intense, right? So like you knew all along that you have a shepherd who's going to bark at things, but it was more extraordinary than just like one bark when he saw things. Absolutely. Yeah. He would have kind of like, um, a meltdown, like barking, um, sometimes lunging, sometimes not, uh, but just generally looking like he wanted to eat whoever was, or whatever was at the, you know, he was reacting to, (laughs) even though I believe that is not in all of his interactions, you know, that's not his intention, but it certainly looks like it to an outsider having like a almost 90 pound German, very loud German shepherd. He has a very big bark, even for a shepherd. So, you know, that's where we were like, okay, (laughs) we need, we need some more help with this. Yeah. And it's like, it's such a a weird paradigm, right? Because we want to honor and recognize that like his intentions are not malicious, right? He just has a lot to say, but that is menacing, right? And you do live in a community with other people, right? So it's kind of like that sliding scale of acknowledging who he is, but also acknowledging that like, maybe we don't need to startle every single person that he sees. Exactly. Oh my God. Okay. So I have to give you kudos because you had a ton of training under your belt before you joined reactive redefined, right? Like, it's not like you hadn't done any training you've done. Um, so you went to the puppy class, you did group classes, like you had done a lot. So do you just want to kind of give the listeners like a sense of what Antari's reactivity was like, um, before you joined reactive redefined? Yeah, he, I mean, kind of what I was just saying, he would, well, deer are a big one, but he mostly would, um, I would say deer are the biggest thing he's reactive to. And he would have full on, if we saw them out on a walk, I mean, barking, lunging, running around, flipping out, you couldn't continue the walk. It was like a, it was a walk ender. You had to just go home and try and run away in the other direction, maybe, you know, recover at some point. Um, And then dogs, not as bad, but still kind of the same. Like he... Um, I had to put him in a crate in the car all the time because he would flip out if we saw dogs just driving by them. Um, He also would be pretty reactive and still kind of is, but not as bad to any, any environmental change. So um, hiking on the trails, if somebody comes out of the woods, he's going to flip out at them. Um, You know, where we, we, if we walk in a place often and we don't typically see people like our neighborhood, we really don't see a lot of people. If all of a sudden we see a person, he's going to have a problem with it. So 
Um, it's most, he's mostly just vocal with reacting. He doesn't do any like flopping on the ground or, um, any of that stuff. He just wants to run towards it, which is also not great. So he's always on yeah. leash. <laughs> okay. So give everyone a little bit of sense of like how deer are unavoidable, unavoidable in your day to day. Like it's not something that we, we can't really manage the environment because they're everywhere. Yeah, so the island that we live on is mostly national park and then everywhere else. So there's no hunting um, anywhere on the island. You can get a nuisance permit, but they're few and far between. And so the deer are literally not scared of you. They walk up to our windows, basically, at our house, and you have to chase them away, like throw rocks at them. I get, I can get so close that it makes me nervous. So I actually stop going towards them before they move. Um, so they're just everywhere. They're at your house. They're in the middle of the road. They're on the trails. They're all over the place. Um, maybe we need more coyotes. We have a lot of those too, but <laughs> I don't know. Like, seriously, like the highest level of distraction and like behavior from deer, right? Like that's, yep. that's a lot to tackle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk a little bit about how and why you joined Reactive Redefined. Yeah. So actually the way that I found it was through Steph. Um, because I think she posted something like from wolf culture or, or, or something like that. And it was a picture of, I'll never forget it, of her and Storm. And it said like, here's my dog with like loud feelings about everything and blah, blah, blah. And so I started following her because I'm like, oh, somebody else that has a very loud, very big German Shepherd that's you know, working force free. I'm like, oh, there's not that many people with German Shepherds that are like in this community. So let me follow her. And then that's how I found your page and saw you were doing Reactive Redefined. And I just like, I think I listened to pretty much every case study <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's listen. And there were just so many things that I related to in each episode, you know, like it wasn't ever just like, oh, that's exactly my dog. But there were some things where I'm like, oh, that's exactly what happens, you know, with Antares when, you know, X happens or Y happens. So um, that's how I found you guys. And then just started following and saw all the stuff you were doing and it aligned with you know, the way that I want to train my dog. So I thought, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> uh, yes. I love that. That makes me so happy. Steph is yeah. going to be so stoked to know that. <laughs> yeah, and like there is something particularly like, um, I guess it's just because they're loud and they're big. Right. But like, just knowing like, and Steph is a petite person too. So like Think of a tea person with this giant male driven shepherd with loud feelings. And then like, oh my God, they have come so freaking far. Those two. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah, I think that that's inspiring to know, like we could do this. Yeah. Because there's a lot of like people in the German shepherd world who are like, dominate, you must use aversion. Like, I feel like German shepherds and Malinois, I think are like the biggest victims in like aversion based yeah. training. I completely agree. And, you know, to be honest with you, one of the, there's like two kind of trainers that work up here and one is quote unquote balanced, but I'm going to say from what I've heard, I have never worked with them. They're like a little, you know, 
more on the things I would never do to my dog side. Um, <laughs> and I emailed both of these places, just not knowing anything about dog, literally knowing nothing, nothing. Just like, oh, this person has German Shepherds on his page, probably could like train my dog. And then like, oh, this one has the free puppy class. Maybe we should go to that one. So that's what, it was like pure luck. And I would love to sit here and be like, oh, I would have never done that to my dog. But I don't know when you don't know, if you don't know anything and a professional tells you that this is how you should treat your German shepherd because they're a German shepherd and they're gonna, you know, run your household if you don't hurt them or whatever, show them who's boss. Like, I don't think I would do it, but gosh, you just never really know, so. Anybody yeah, else don't, pass, don't feel bad. And I think, you know, when you're at this point where you're like, okay, I have this dog that we love and adore, but he is like menacing society sometimes. Like <laughs> you've come because you need answers. And if someone's going to be like, do this, this, and this, if you're going to spend the money, you're going to do it. Right. Like, you know, so, well, I'm glad that you lucked into a, a force free puppy class. That's Me awesome. too. <laughs> and I've become excellent friends with the trainer. I mean, she's just a beautiful person and, and really has changed a lot about the culture of dogs in our area. And it's really nice to see. So. Oh my God. What's her name? Her name is Whitney. Also, her name's oh Whitney. My God. Shout out to Whitney. Yeah. And she runs Salty Dogs. Um, so, and that was another thing when I saw that you call you dog spicy I was like oh he's spicy and salty this is perfect <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much okay so do you want to give the listeners some perspective on maybe some things that you learned inside of reactive redefine that like maybe you didn't know maybe you absorbed in a different way yes so I think the thing that helped me the most uh with reactive redefine is the community that comes with it um and the support that you get from that because it can be kind of isolating and lonely. Um, and you feel like your dog is the only dog in the world that acts this way. Um, so I think the thing that I learned the most was like to not to, to not really care what other people think and to advocate for yourself and advocate for your dog. Um, I don't think I recognized how much I was struggling with that before I was in Reactive Redefined. And so that was like the biggest thing was like building my confidence back up because sometimes you have like, back-to-back -back bad experiences and then you just feel like you're doing a bad job everybody's judging you and like so I think that that was the biggest thing as far as like overall just being able to set us back on like the right path of being like we can do this and it's okay if he barks at people like that's not really that big of a deal <laughs> you know what I mean like there's a lot of stuff going on in the world and like my dog barking is not a big deal. <laughs> well, and it's right. Like taking the emotional weight out of your dog's behavior, right? And acknowledging that like, you know, you have done everything in your power, but Antares is still a German shepherd, right? Like, you yeah. know, it's not that we can expect him to never bark at anything ever, right? So, oh my God, I'm so delighted to hear that, right? Because it matters, right? And I think that that's something that we really focus on in the program is like, we give you the skill sets. We help you understand the training, the dogs learning how to implement that stuff. But we also help everyone deal with our own emotional baggage surrounding our dog's behavior right because it exists right and like you know not always fun when people are like glaring at you and your dog's having a meltdown you're like cool hi guys don't mind us we're doing our best over here or in a lot of circumstances they just hide because they think my dog's gonna like eat them <laughs> but 
whatever. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> okay, so um, do you want to talk just a little bit more about some of the like dog training practices that maybe you already knew, but maybe we just took to another level while you were a part of Reactive Redefined? Yeah, um, the loose leash walking, um, we've been working on that a lot, but it just really got a lot better. And the switching sides, which was a great thing that we'd never really done or yeah, never really considered putting switch sides on a cue, um, which has been so helpful because, <clears throat> excuse me, in, you know, in all circumstances, is it going to work? Is he going to listen to me? No way. But in circumstances of lower distraction, being able to have him switch sides and kind of come to my other side and be in a quote unquote heel. I'm not like a precision healer by any means. I just, if he's generally in my side vicinity, I call that a heel. Um, that was really, really helpful. Um, some other things that I've have started using are, um, I don't remember what you call it in the program, like the pull, like pull off to the side. Yeah. Yeah. And I put it on a queue of woods because pretty much everywhere I am, there's always woods. So <laughs> I just put it on a queue and I used it yesterday. Somebody was coming up behind us in our neighborhood when, um, with their dog off leash, which is fine. There's really nobody around. She was being very polite and making sure that she gave us space, but I just knew it was going to be too much. So I just, boop, said woods and we like went off into the woods and kind of went and walked around in the woods for a little while and then came back and it worked great you know so that was something I'd never even considered putting on a cue and what a great thing to do because you can just go the other way or you know get out of get out of dodge <laughs> I feel like and like correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like Antarius is the dog too that like left to his own devices he doesn't always make the choices that we want but if we ask him to do something he's game he's like oh yeah cool let's do it right like giving him direction and like cueing behaviors I feel like he has really thrived on that being like oh yeah we know how to do this absolutely as long as you get him before he goes over threshold <laughs> like <laughs> if you get him if you can keep him under threshold I mean he will do whatever you want just he's he thinks it's a game he loves learning new things so that kind of stuff is great so if you can see something coming you know before he does which is the new game is if you own a german shepherd it turns you into a german shepherd trying to <laughs> everything to see if anything changes before he notices <laughs> but when i do notice first i can you know i have that skill set now of different types of bailouts if I know it's going to be too much or ways to get space or, you know, ways to just like talk him through it kind of. So that's been really helpful. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about like his thresholds with dogs in particular, because at the beginning of Reactive Redefined, it was like seeing a dog anywhere ever would be oh, setting him yeah. over thresholds. I think I texted you before the program when I had signed up and I was like, oh my God, Rachel, we saw a dot dog. Like it was so small. It was just a dot, like running in the distance and he was barking at it. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> wow, he's come so far. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> okay, so tell, tell the listeners just a little bit more about like, how he's coping with dogs like in sightline that aren't even dots <laughs> oh yeah so now i will say um listen could we still have a dot dog 
scenario, probably. We probably could, depending on his mood. You know, let's get real. We all have bad days. But things that we can consistently do now, which we definitely could not before, um, I can take him on walks anywhere. And if he hears dogs barking, even very close, like, I mean, in a house, like on the street, as long as he can't see them, he stays perfectly under threshold, doesn't bother him at all. That used to set him off. He used to bark um, if he heard, you know, a dog that close. So consistently can do that. We can dry. I, I let him ride out of his crate. Now we still have the crate cause he likes to be in it, but I leave it open. And when we drive past dogs, he can usually, um, not bark at them. And if he does bark, it's very like, you can be like, knock it off. Um, and he'll stop, which is great. If we were stopped at a stoplight and there was like one right outside the door, I think that would be too much. Um, and also our neighborhood, but our neighborhood is just like a totally different ball game because this is like his space. So he would flip out there. But, um, and then a couple weeks ago, we went into town where we're just, it's so busy now. Um, and he, we were like in town on the sidewalk. I was in a place where there was a parking lot so I could get a little space um, waiting for my husband to get some bagels and donuts at a bakery and 14 I, or more dogs walked by in like 20 to 25 minutes and he only got stuck on one. I mean, we definitely had to, you know, get space and whatever, but he did it. And I was just shocked honestly that he didn't oh God, I was that. so excited when you told me like <laughs> we could be all the people are here there's all these dogs look at us just keeping our <laughs> shit together <laughs> yeah it was amazing and so many people like stopped and talked to him he doesn't really have a problem with people unless again it's that whole environmental change where they come out of nowhere but he was just like saying hey to everybody and um, for the first time I was, someone was talking to me and wanted to talk to him. And, and then I saw a dog coming and I was like, Hey, we just got to get some space from this dog. So we'll see you later. And I was like, look at me advocating. <laughs> Whereas before I might've just been like, Oh, let's see what happens. This might be as bad, but whatever. So anyway, that's so good. Well, and I feel like, you know, when people come for training, I, I don't think everyone always expects like how practical and maybe like it seems obvious until like, it seems obvious after you learn about it, but maybe you didn't think to do that before. Right. So like for everyone listening, there is no magic training dust, right? Like that doesn't exist. I literally just give you practical skills and the emotional sport just to go out and do it. Right. And like, he's not reacting because you have the tools to prevent it. Right. It's not like you just walk past a bunch of dogs and you give him no feedback and he can keep it together. Right. Like that's not the reality y'all, but you can work with him and you just have way more tools so that he's not constantly doing his big boy park at people. Exactly. Yeah. It's totally true. And also like, I think it gave me the skills to recognize a little bit better when I should be managing and when I should be training, because I think that there's two different mindsets in that. And like, if you're out on a morning stroll with like your coffee, which actually I think the other day I went for a walk holding a cup of coffee with him for the first time. Oh <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> progress. Yeah, huge. Normally I would have never done that. Like, but, um, you know, that's where we're at now, which is great. Um, but I don't remember what I was saying, but <laughs> management versus training. Oh, management versus training. Yeah. Sometimes you just 
aren't in the situation where you can be training through something. And so just getting out of Dodge or, you know, getting more space or turning around, you know, it's just easier and you don't want to do that all the time, but sometimes like who wants to go into town just to go look for dogs to train around them? You know what I mean? <laughs> sometimes. You know, knowing that that's perfectly okay. If you don't have the bandwidth to like be like, like a plus trainer that day, you know exactly where to go that it's not, you don't have to do that. Right. Like, and just understanding that like some days you don't need to push criteria. Some days you just need to super lower criteria. So you and him could just be and exist. Right. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly acceptable. But if you're ready, you're motivated, you have the bandwidth, you know what to do to push criteria. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So that's been really helpful. Um, yeah, the class was just really helpful for, I think, <laughs> managing myself <laughs> more than him. I mean, it in turn helps me manage him. Um, but, you know, also that book that you recommended, Meet Your Dog, after I read that and just you know, I knew about, I know, or I knew about German Shepherds as a breed, but man, I know a lot more now. I've done a lot more research and just realizing how much they feed off their owners or their person made me recognize that that's where I had to do a lot of the work because now we have the skills, like here are the practical skills. And like, you gave feedback on videos to help us like really hone in what works but then, you know, just really understanding who your dog is. And then for me, because of his breed and because of who he is, like managing my emotions and my feelings about it has, I think that's how we've made more progress versus when I was more reactive also. I think like, oh my God, there's a dog. I gotta go the other way, I'm freaking out. Like, what's he gonna do? Obviously. <laughs> right, and I think like, I hope you felt like safe and supported in the fact that like, I never shamed anyone for anything that they were doing, right? Like we all kind of come to our own realizations of like, yeah, my behavior is definitely making this worse. Okay, noted, I'm gonna change that and go forward. And like, that is okay, right? Like it is okay to make mistakes. It is okay to like sometimes do things that increase the reactivity. But once we learn and recognize those things, then we can change them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about the deer, because I know you guys have made big strides with the deer and right. Like, you know, no bullshit, everyone. It is still a work in progress. It always will be, but the reactivity from you both is significantly down towards the deer. Yeah. I will say we have had a lot of wins with deer, but then recently we've had some, some, some trouble, but where we're at kind of with deer is that on a walk, if we see them, if they're kind of in the distance walking, he can kind of do the look at that, some barking, you know, whatever, but he can really kind of calm himself down. We've seen like a bunch of deer walking in the distance, slowly, key there, slowly. When they move, it's like bad news. Yeah. Um, so the other the pro, I guess, of having so many deer is that I can pretty consistently go to one spot on our road if I want to see deer or train around them. So that's nice. But then the con is that he's always expecting deer to be there. So, um, but that's okay. So, but now we don't, the walks do not end when we see deer. He's still 
barks and freaks out um he'll watch them until they jump and once they jump that like jumpy deer with the white tail flicking and it's just game over but he can come back from it um which he just he couldn't I mean when we would see deer before it would be like the whole day is shot I mean it was bad and now um we would have to see a lot of deer in order for that to be the case I'm sure it could still happen but um yeah, so we can we can go out and if we see a deer, we can manage. You know, it's not pretty, it's not perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than it used to be. <laughs> well, and like we, that's all we can do is celebrate celebrate the incremental progress, yep. right? Like, and you know, I think that a lot of the prey drive stuff, right? Like, we all recognize like is going nowhere, right? Like, we can't get rid of like their primal instincts, but the fact that like. He can recover and be like, I saw some deer. Mom, did you see the deer? There were yeah. deer. Okay, cool. Ready to go on? Like, that is still the dialogue that you were after versus the yeah. like, and all right. Yeah. <laughs> up, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, we still have that too, but like, it's just shorter. <laughs> it, he's less like, let me, sh- let me tell you about the deer. He's like, let me scream about them for. Right like a minute instead of like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot better. We have had some trouble with DR recently. Uh, just the spring, they're coming up to our house now. And so we've had to start crating him at night. And, you know, that's that management versus training. He was spiraling and up all night, like panting. He was freaked out because they would come every night around 3 a.m. and he would wake up like 2.45 ready to go looking out the window waiting for him and just freaking out so we just decided to start crating him again at night he loves his crate and it's you know it fixed it (laughs) it's like I'm not gonna train him at 3 a.m it's not gonna happen so that was a nice you know that's again like how management can be more helpful sometimes than training because I don't think I'm ever gonna out train his reactivity to deer in our front yard. It's just not going to happen. So. Right. Right. And that's okay. Right. But as long as every other part of your life is functional, you can go for walks. He can recover quickly. He's sleeping through the night. And like, yeah, sometimes we just have to acknowledge who our dogs are and that like, he is completely content to sleep in the crate at night. And that completely solves the problem. So there we go. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no quality of life that he's missing out at. And and in fact, everyone's quality of life is probably so much higher that he is not stressing at that time of day. (laughs) Yeah. He was, I I was like concerned about him. It was nights that he wasn't sleeping. And then he was just out of whack during the day you know it's just like this bad cycle so yeah everybody and myself included I was exhausted (laughs) I was like oh my god this dog is gonna be the end of me (laughs) but we're back and we're cool (laughs) I love it it so much okay so is there anything you would share to reactive dog guardians that are listening right now who maybe haven't had the bandwidth for training they're feeling like what the hell am I gonna do with this dog like what 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 do you want to say to them Oh, well, I want to say you're not alone, first of all, even though you definitely think you are, probably because all the rest of the reactive dog owners are running the opposite direction of you. <laughs> you don't know that they exist. <laughs> um, but also, you know, if you have the time, it's not, it's, it's not a huge, it is a huge time commitment when it all adds up, but small little changes that you can do every day that like, if you 
do reactive redefined, it's really broken down into nice steps and little pieces that you practice and they kind of add up. And so it's not so time consuming. It's not super difficult. And it'll just set you on the right path. Like I can't recommend it enough. And also you're going to meet, like I still talk to pretty much everybody in our Thursday group, like all the time, like literally all the time, because we all, you know, have gone through it. We bought you bond. I mean, I can't tell you enough, like how much the community of reactive redefined it's just, it helps immensely. It's the biggest thing I think that will help you get through having a reactive dog because it's hard like you love them and you want everybody to see how much of an angel they are but you know they don't always show it so yeah I mean the Facebook group the Instagram it's just everything it's really helpful so if you're struggling I would do it I mean I didn't I definitely don't regret it that's for sure especially thinking about that dot dog now I totally forgot about that (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. Oh, and it's like, it's one of those things that like in an in-person setting in a reactive dog group, you would never be able to connect with people in that capacity, right? It's pretty much just like, you notice that they're over there and you don't even really talk to them because you can't, right? Like you can't get close. They have their dog and you have your dog. Right. And like, I think that that's, what's so cool about the virtual program, right? It's like, it allows this connection between the people without the interference of your reactive dog when your whole life has pretty much been dictated by the interference of your reactive dog. That's a perfect way to put it. It's so true. The only thing sometimes on our calls, you can hear like everybody's dogs, like freaking out at one point you're like I'm just gonna mute myself sorry (laughs) but it's like everybody's doing the same thing everybody's muting themselves because their dogs are barking at something so it's just like oh man you know yeah the sense of community um it's the best and you meet some amazing people so I love it I love it so much well thank you for trusting me to be a part of your training journey it has been an honor and a pleasure um if people wanted to connect with you um how could they connect with you on Instagram um, my Instagram is at W Sincetta, which is my last name. Um, I don't know if you can put it in the show notes. Well, it's hard yeah. To yeah, but you can follow me and the big barky boy on Instagram. So handsome, you guys. You need to just go look at his big old beautiful face and his big pointy ears. Bless oh, him. they are some big ears. He is pretty handsome. Thank goodness, or you know, <laughs> kicked him to the curb. <laughs> Oh my God. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your experience. I know a lot of people are probably going to relate to it. Yes. Thank you. All right, everybody. I know that CBD is a hot topic and rightfully so. There's a lot of misinformation surrounding CBD, but I tell you what, there's a lot of pretty amazing evidence for how amazing CBD can be for not only humans, but also for our pets. Uh, The ladies at VetCS were on the podcast recently. It was episode 148. Give it a listen. You will learn a lot. Um, But I use VetCS products for me. I use VetCS products for the dogs. And I tell you what, Tiva, as she ages, the CBD is just amazing for her arthritis. And Waylon greatly benefits from the CBD too. So if you've been considering CBD for you or for your pet, check out VetCS.com. And you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your first purchase. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.